Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Five Plain Questions, this week called Five Scary Questions, an episode that shares stories from indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, with stories that are both scary, insightful, and very, very curious. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this very scary event. I'm Director of Canna, the Native American Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous community from around the region and country. Here at the podcast, we celebrate our culture and the high art that is produced by our brilliant artists and community members every single day. But I also recognize that within our traditional culture, there is a veil that lies between this world and what we call the other side, sometimes referred to as the afterlife. And it's a very thin veil, sometimes so thin that we see past it. In other times, the boundary between here and there becomes a little blurred, and so we're unsure of which side that we're on. In the following true stories, you're going to hear the experiences that our guest and myself can't fully explain. So let's jump into this first story with Dwayne Wilcox, our first season guest, who shares with us a story from his childhood, who one night woke up with a guest that was outside of his home. Okay, this is, uh, we lived uh, probably about nine miles east of Wobbly out in the country next to the Badlands. This is uh, 1966. This is what me and my older sister figured out. Because we lived in a trailer house, uh, old trailer house, uh, that didn't have elect. We didn't have electricity, so we still had, you know, go down the creek and get our spring water, you know, water out of a spring and everything. And uh, uh, we burnt fuel oil. Uh, the the trailer had a fuel oil furnace, so basically all of our lighting was uh, kerosene lamps. So to the direction of that trailer pointed north and uh, it had a kitchen up in the front and there was, uh, you know, those trailers that had those big uh, bay windows in the front, you know, had all those, all the whole, well, we didn't have no curtains in there because we lived so far out in the country. Our nearest neighbor is probably six miles away. But uh, we, anyway, it was after after bedtime. We was all asleep. And um, those old trailers, they didn't really have rooms when you walked down the hall. It was kind of like split in the middle. It was more like camper style. So there'd be bunk beds on uh, one side and the other. You know, there were six, uh, seven of us then. Uh, so uh, it was bunk beds on both sides of the, the hallway, right, as you come out of the kind of the living room, kitchen, living room, then down the hallway. Uh, there were some plum bushes uh, next to the creek there, and it was probably... A, end of uh end of august then uh we was all asleep and my little brother was baby then he was probably about six seven months old maybe and uh, my mom got up in the middle of the night to change him and uh warm up a bottle and um she was at the at the stove and uh it was real funny because kerosene lamps have a real yellow soft you know light 
and uh, it kind of woke us up because uh, my brother was crying. So uh, kind of you can you know you just kind of try to go back to sleep, and uh, all of a sudden uh, the light kept getting a different color. Uh, it reminds me reminds me of those blue halogen lights that they have now, you know, on the highway when you're out there in the prairie and somebody drives by you, it nearly blinds you for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. But anyway. My mom uh, said, oh, you just hear her go, oh, real loud. And uh, she uh, picked up, uh, you know, picked up the uh, whatever she is doing. And she uh, come running down the hallway and she, she says, uh, stay in bed, stay in, you know, stay in your room. And uh, by that time, that light was so bright, it was coming straight, straight through uh, the, the you know the whole length of our trailer right clear to the back bedroom and it was funny because my mom blew out the lamp on the kitchen counter and uh, the heat from that you know the soot and the heat you know circles in the air but you could see that kind of like when the sunlight's uh, shining through a window in your house and uh if somebody smokes, you could see the, you know, it really light up in one beam. But that's the kind of the, the, the way it was. And my brother peeked out and I peeked out and uh, he got up and uh, he says, let's go, you know, let's go. Let's go look. So we went up. We was, yeah, I wasn't very big. So the kitchen counter, the sink where the sink was probably was up to about mid chest, you know, just enough to kind of look out the window. But we got about halfway up the kitchen, and that light was so bright and big outside of our house. It was probably about 100 yards away where the plum bushes were, and it was about 10 or 15 feet from the plum bushes. And it just sat there, no noise, you know, dead quiet. You couldn't hear crickets either because it was, you know, August or zocadas, you know, buzz, you know, in August at night. Everything was quiet, uh, just no noise at all, and because uh, we had windows open too, so we, he he kind of had that look on his face about the same time I, we bumped into each other, trying to run back down the hallway and uh, hide. But the only thing you could do was uh, pull the covers up over your head because there was really no place to hide. But that light stayed on for at least eight or nine minutes. And uh, my mom kept saying, stay, stay in bed, stay in bed. And after a few few seconds, it just got pitch black, you know, because that light was so bright that all of a sudden, uh, no lamps on in the house or anything, no lights outside. It just got dark in the house again. And now my mom waited for a while. We was all awake by that time, probably hearts beat, beating. <laughs> yeah, everybody probably... Hear, hear each other breathing you know because uh, that scared my mom and that you know that kind of kind of scared us too that she was you know frightened because we asked her what was that and she I don't know you know I don't know what that was uh, that was uh, like the whole night nobody slept you know because that was just a strange uh, thing you know I to this day, as uh, me and my younger sister, the time the time ET came to our house, <laughs> we we laugh about it now. But at the time, it was dead seriously scary. You know that uh, that color, that light, and in the middle of, of, of the you know there's no moon, so it was pretty dark too. Uh, that was just one of those uh, 
things. Uh, my sister told me, uh, my little sister told me, her and my other sister, two of my sisters, was driving out uh, to, well, we call it the country, going out to the country. And uh, while they were driving, they said they thought our house, my aunt's, my aunt's house was on fire. That's not too far from where we were living in 66. And this was in 1983, I think she'd say, about 80, 83, right in there. And she said her and Paula was going home late. Uh, and I said, from the road, gravel road, going down the gravel road, they said they looked towards the house and it looked like it was on fire. It was like the only thing, it was a ball, uh, like really a big ball. And they uh, hurried up and tried to get out there. Nobody, had, you know, before cell phones and everything, drove out there. But they said when they got there, there was nothing, no light. So my great aunt told them, it's just, uh, yeah, we seen that out here before. You know, that's, that's all she had to say about it. Did it? <clears throat> does it sound like it was the same thing that you had seen in '66? I don't think it was the same thing because I think Carol would have been old enough to know that it was the same color and everything. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, she she witnessed Paula. I don't know. She was little girl then, so she's maybe three or four by then. So she probably really didn't remember it too well as much as my sister Carol would. My sister Janice, I talked about that. She said, oh, yeah, there's that time that uh, 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 Uncle Seth's uh, brother, uh, and I said, oh, this is the spook story, I guess. Uh, out at my great aunt and uncle's, they had no kids, but my great uncle had like six brothers. Uh, uh, the blizzard of 47, everybody remembers that, you know, that. That, that blizzard came and it's, you know, piled up, clear up almost uh, telephone post. You know, you could almost walk, walk, you know. But anyway, at the beginning of that blizzard, <clears throat> they said that uh, they were asleep, you know, just the two of them. And, uh, and, they're, and they're, it's an extended, uh, it's a log house and they built another house onto it. So it's a real long building. And uh, there was a front door and a door to the, that little log house that they built onto that used to be their uh, his uh, his mom's uh, log house. So they built onto it after they got married. You know, his mom passed and everything. So really a long log house, and uh, they, their bedroom was way up in the front part. And they said uh, late at night that that uh, the door they had a screen door that uh, that they could here when it was uh the dogs wanted in they would scratch on it you know they said they heard that and uh they, they looked at each other and said that sounds like somebody knocking because the dogs are you know already in the porch so uh, i guess my uncle got up and he found a flashlight and he looked out the window he didn't see anybody so he opened the door tied the lighter out he says it is really snowing hard said there's already about eight or nine inches of snow on the, on the out front of the house he said that you couldn't even see very far you know 20 30 feet because the wind was blowing so he thought well it's just probably you know badger or something you know middle of the night so he closed the door again this is before anybody locked their door so he just closed the door went back to bed and he said about 20 minutes later the other door the back door way on the other side of the house uh, same noise it's a kind of a scratchy knock 
So it, it, this time it happened twice. So it, they both got up and they went around down and looked out. And uh, this time my uncle said he grabbed his shotgun. He walked around the back back of the house. And they said there was no footprints or anything in the front or the back. And uh, anyway, it was uh, probably about a, about three weeks later after the blizzard kind of subsided and people were still able to travel, you know, it was, it was, uh, so a lot of people still use wagons then. Said their neighbor came to tell him that his brother was asphyxiated in his pickup over by Kuroka on the railroad tracks. He was, uh, got, he went off the road during that storm and he left the heater going and fell asleep and, uh, you know, the truck, you know, carbon monoxide. So that was the same night that all of that happened, about the same time he supposedly went off and got stuck. Mm. So that's what they figured that was uh, his brother. Uh, that was the old, you know, the old, old old story I heard probably from my dad, my, my uncles, you know, that, that, that uh, I don't know if they tried to tell you that to scare you, it just what happened, you know, mm. it's, that's the way they told you. It's kind of a matter of fact type of thing, rather than, you know, it was one running around. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's my true stories, and I'm sticking to them. And now, a recent guest from season two, Roy Taylor, an experience in a cabin in the woods. Once, uh, this was in northern Wisconsin. My wife and I were visiting some in-laws of hers, and. Uh, so at the end of the evening, some uh, good food and good conversation, we were shown to our room in this. It was a fairly large uh, cabin. And so uh, we were pretty tired because we had driven quite a ways. And so we went to sleep right away. It was uh, in the fall and we were under some warm blankets and, and quilts. But as we were going into the room, I happened to notice a rug that was on the wall and hanging on the wall as a piece of art. And I told my wife, I said, that almost looks uh, sort of Native American in design. I wonder what that's about. And she said, well, you'll have to ask them when you uh, when we get up the next morning. So as I said, we were uh, warm under, under the covers, but in the middle of the night, all of a sudden I was awakened and I kind of sat up in bed and at the foot of my our bed, was a sort of a wispy, willowy figure, very light-colored, with long white hair. Anyway, I could tell it was a female, and she was looking out a window and uh, wasn't paying any attention to me. And then after a few moments, she did turn to look at me, and I realized she did see me. And it startled me out of, uh, out of my stupor, and I, I woke up then, and she disappeared. So I woke up my wife. And I said, I think somebody was in the room with us. And she said, oh, how could it be? You know, we, they would have made some noise or you would have been aware. She said, it was probably just a nightmare. So go to sleep. She's this morning when we got breakfast, it was a large, uh, what, uh, what you saw last night. And I said, okay. And I recounted what, what happened. And uh, so the mother, the grandmother who was hosting us there said, let's go back into the room. I want to show you something. So we did. And we walked right up to that rug and she took the rug off the wall 
and behind the wall, a rug was on the wall was a window that had been boarded up. And it still had glass in it, but it had some wood over so you couldn't access. The room that we were in was actually a little storage room that they had put a bed in uh, on the basically the outside of, of the actual cabin. And so <clears throat> that window was where I saw this, this apparition. So the apparition was actually looking out the window out onto uh, the small lake where the cabin was located. So we all kind of looked at each other wondering, you know, what was this spirit maybe that was wandering around the property there who had come into the cabin and was actually looking out the window and that I had experienced that that night before. And they, they said to us, you know, a lot of the, the legends and the lore. Uh, that particular small lake, you know, that there were a lot of people who had drowned in the lake um, and, and maybe were still haunting the place and looking for for loved ones uh, now that sometimes property had changed hands several times over. So again, that was uh, something that uh, really happened to me. Um, I know it can come across as an old man just telling a story to entertain people, but uh, I believe it. Uh, it's still is retained in my memory. I don't know if there's a lesson to be learned there, but it is ironic how some of the details kind of came together on the, on the following morning. We now join Falcon Gott on some uninvited guests who just couldn't stay away. This was probably when I was around the age of four, if I can remember correctly. But I know that I was super young. I wasn't in kindergarten yet, but... But yeah, um, I remember that my siblings and I, my mom, grandma and uncle, we were all inside waiting for dinner to be, um, waiting for dinner to be made. And my dad and his brother were outside doing yard work. And so we're all inside and we're just like, you know, like, you know, hanging out, watching TV. And then I hear my dad say, everyone come outside right now and everyone from what I recall everyone was like kind of like surprised about like why do we all need to be outside and so everyone gets up and rushes outside and so I was the last one outside because I didn't have any socks on and I hate wearing shoes with no socks and so I was trying to find socks and trying to like put my shoes on. Then I just gave up and ran outside barefoot. And I noticed that everyone was looking straight up into the sky. And it was towards like the evening time. And so it was like a mixture of that red, orange, like white, blue, purple hue that, that starts during the sunset. And it was a clear sky outside. And we're all, then I look up and sure enough, there are three flying saucers that are slowly going overhead. And we were all quiet because we were just like all like staring at them. And they were pretty low. They were saucer shaped, um, rotating very slowly. And you couldn't hear anything. Like you could, there were they, these, these saucers, these UFOs, they weren't making any, any noise from what I can recall. And so they're just going and going and going and going. 
And we probably watched them for like a good, like one minute as they flew overhead and as they flew out of the horizon. And like, we were just like, oh, that's, I don't know. I just remember being like, oh, that's like super interesting and like pretty cool. But then once they flew out of the, out of sight, like we all went inside and we didn't discuss it. We just like went back to like what we were doing, which was like super weird. And I don't know what I found interesting about it is like, I couldn't tell you what I was doing earlier that day or that afternoon or like, you know, like we obviously ate dinner afterwards, but I couldn't, I can't remember that. I can't remember going to bed, but for that, for that portion of time, when my dad said, everyone come outside now to when uh, they flew out of sight and we just like all went back inside to like what we were doing before. I can remember that very vividly. Like it's, it's strongly etched into my brain, but yeah, beforehand, afterhand, I cannot tell you what I was doing or what we were all doing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was like, you know, such a surreal experience to have at such a young age. And I, I talked to my brother about it. We, we, we bring it up every now and then, but um, we, we just like, like to, I guess, like compare what we experienced and what we saw that day. And it's like, you know, it's really, you know, can't explain it at all. You know, just, we saw what we saw and we had no idea besides the fact that they, they were UFOs, but anything outside of that, like, you know, can't explain has the family talked about it since then uh, outside of you and your brother uh not really i think my brother told me that he spoke to my dad about it my dad and mom about it um like a while ago but i wasn't a part of that conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because uh, you you hear other stories and the the reaction is sort of the same in a lot of different cases where the incident will take place and then everyone just carries on, you know, like they had just watched a squirrel run up a tree or something. And it's like, okay, moving on to the next thing. And there's a lot of, um, there's patterns there where people don't acknowledge what happened, uh, at least not instantly, maybe later on the day or years later, you know, um, someone will say, hey, do you remember this? And then the question is, why didn't we ever talk about it? And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's part of the phenomenon or how, however that works. Right. And it is super interesting and I don't know like maybe it was like maybe we all like interpreted as like since we couldn't under since we couldn't um as kids like we couldn't explain it so like or like interpret it so like why should we ask our parents Mm -hmm. you know like because we were like all stunned and odd of like what we just saw because it was so like not normal (laughs) but uh yeah that was uh that's super that's my first story and i don't know i would like to see something like that now like in this day of age (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah well that's just wild you know and of course the you know with with the pentagon uh and the dod releasing the videos of like the tic tac and um acknowledging uh, the pilots acknowledging that they see things on a regular basis you know it's maybe we'll get that chance uh sooner than later (laughs) you know that there'll be something uh in the future (laughs) Which would be great, but I think you know it would be like that movie um, Science, you know, where it, maybe it's a global event or something, you know, and then we all stop and we acknowledge it. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's crazy. 
Yeah, that would be pretty wild, a global event like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, the, the, the second story that you had. Yeah. So the second story, so this happened a number of years ago. And it's, you know, much more strongly etched in my memory than it is with the UFOs. Um, and it's like a road trip type of story. Uh, so my brother and I and two of our close family friends, we, we always made an effort to go to New Mexico just to, one, just to go, and two, like, which is the most important thing, um, to visit family and friends. And so we did this for a number of years. I think it was like around five, five consecutive years. Um, and we'd go for about a one week, like a week's worth of time. So, you know, drive down there, uh, visit, skate, eat food, um, have some fun, and then head on back. I think towards our latter, our later years, I think like around the third and fourth year, we actually made an effort to go visit our grandma. Now, when you're on a road trip like that, and, you know, like time is obviously um, an issue in terms of like wanting to go and do. And so our grandma's place being um, like an hour and a half to two hours um, northwest of Albuquerque, of, in which that we were, that's where we would stay. It would be in Albuquerque. Um, that's kind of like, you know, a lot of time to, to um, invest in, because it's about, you know, that could be like three or four hours out of the way um, going to and from. And obviously the fact of visiting, which would be the point, but always trying to find that time to do so. That was like, how could we, how could we structure that into our, uh, into our time, uh, to our week's worth of time uh, in New Mexico? And so I think it was like our third year, we went to go visit our grandma during the afternoon. And so that was fun. But then we, you know, by the end of the day, we ended up going back to Albuquerque. Um, on our fourth year, um, we kind of did the exact same thing. Time didn't really like manage out how it should have. And so we had less time to visit with our grandma. And I think we were just like more exhausted because it was less structured or less thought out and more so like rushing. And then our fifth year, and this was like the last year that we um, that we went as a crew to to New, to, to New Mexico. Um, we were like, well, since we visited during the day, we should probably head out there during the evening, camp out there, and then head back the next day, just so that we're utilizing as much time as we can, not only with my grandma, but you know, one to go camping and just like have some fun. And so that was the plan. We were going to camp on our grandma's um, property, which is on the Navajo reservation. And, um, and so we did, we, we got done with our antics throughout the afternoon in Albuquerque and towards the evening time, we made our way to our grandma's, uh, grandma's place. Um, we, you know, we got our food, we got our snacks, we had like, you know, we had some beer on hand and, um, and so we get there, we visit with our grandma for, you know, however long it took, you know. And then by that time we were done visiting, um, it was getting dark outside. 
And we told our grandma, like, we were going to go camp outside if that's all right. And she shook her head, yes. Um, and so, you know, like, all right, well, we'll see you in the morning. And our idea of camping out was like driving maybe like, I don't know, like a football field and a half, like distance wise, length wise away from our grandma's house. So it's basically just like, you know, as far as way, as far away as like, like from the light as possible. And um, I don't know, just to like, you know, just to do it. And, and so that's what we did. We, we gathered some rocks. We found an ideal um, location for our fire. We got some rocks, made a fire pit, gathered up as much firewood as possible. And then we got comfy. And by this time it was like, I think like 11 o'clock at night. And um, we got comfy. We all sat around the, the fire and we just like, you know, started like chit-chatting and like just like reminiscing about like what our trip had been so far and things that we did in the past and, you know, drinking a few beers and stuff like that. Um, I will add this. So that night was super interesting just because one, it was um, a new moon. So there was no moon in the sky. And so it was pitch freaking black everywhere like just like you could not see anything or yeah you could not see anything or um and two uh it was kind of like during the springtime and so it was super freaking cold that night too and we were all unprepared for that <laughs> if i would have guessed it probably was like in the um lower 30s or higher 20s and um yeah, so we were always like huddled by the fire as much as we could, as much as possible. And and so we're we're just like, you know, having a good time and then like our I don't know what it was, like our our social battery or we were just like fatigued, but it just dropped instantly. Like we we were just sitting by the fire at this point just like I don't know, just not saying anything, but just having, I don't know, just drinking and just, I don't know, resting or whatever. And so at this point, we're just by the fire and it's dead quiet. And like, you can hear everything. And, and um, there's a two way, a two lane highway, not far from our grandma's place. And so you're able to hear like any type of traffic that would like drive by. And there wasn't a lot of traffic. Either. And, and so every once in a while, you'll hear our car just like drive by. And so, you know, we could hear everything in it. And towards like the early, early in the morning, um, we, we heard like a res dog barking way off into the distance. And, um, you know, you don't think anything of it. And so we hear that dog barking and it gets quiet. And then like, you know, like 15, 20 minutes later, another res dog starts barking. But this time that res dog is like louder. And, and you know, it barks, it barks for a little bit and then dead quiet again. And then like 15, 20 minutes later, you hear another res dog barking and it's louder this time. So whatever is making this, these res dogs at like wherever these, these dogs are situated at. And I'm, you know, more likely it's at a house 
or somewhere on some sort of property. Um, whatever is making these dogs bark is making its way closer and closer and closer to uh, who knows wherever it was, wherever that thing is headed. And so, um, yeah, so it's at the third dog, it's barking, then it gets really quiet. And another 15, 20 minutes later, um, my grandma's neighbor, neighbor's res dog starts barking. Now we can hear the dog bark. It's like, you know, as loud as it can get. And um, we, we start like, you know, my brother and I, and you know, our two friends, we start seeing this pattern. And we're just like, I don't know, we're not thinking anything too much of it, you know, like, we don't want to like, you know, like think into it and then scare ourselves. And by this time, it's like probably like two o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning, um, and we're just like all huddled by the huddled by the um, the fire, just because it's like the temperature is just like slowly dropping. Um, and uh, our our grandma's res pups, they came out to hang out. They came to hang out with us. So like they're by the fire, you know, they're they're wrestling, they're having a good time. Like you know, we're feeding them hot dogs and stuff like that, and so they're there, they're hanging with us. And I call it, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to bed. Like I'm cold, I'm tired. And like, I just like wanna have like, you know, a good night's rest. And so I go into the tent and, um, you know, find my place and you know, I put on like an extra pair of pants and like all the layers of jackets that I could find, and huddle into my uh, sleeping bag. And even that, that doesn't do that doesn't do it. Like that, that doesn't keep me warm. It's still freaking cold out. And then next thing, you know, like my brother, um, you know, he's going to bed. And then shortly after, our friend TJ, um, he's in the tent. And so we're all getting ready to go to bed. Our other friend Richie, he, you know, he had one too many, you know, beers, and so he's just like, you know, just crashed out by the fire and like we'll just leave him there for the night the fire will keep him warm and so uh i'm closest to the to the tent door and so what after tj gets um gets comfy i go and close it and then i notice that like the the res pups they're um they're both like sleeping they both got comfortable right outside our entrance of the tent and so they're cuddled there, there and they're like, you know, getting ready to, to sleep as well. So I close the tent and get back to where I am. And like the only thing that we can hear at this time are like the final like crackling of like the dying fire. Because like we, you know, over time we, we saw like the, the brightness of it through the tent, like just like dimmer, dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then to the point where it's like ambers are only glowing. And like, we're all not sleeping because like, we're all just like super just uncomfortable because of how cold it was. And, uh, and then it just gets like, as quiet as it was that night, it just gets dead silence, just like eerie, eerie quietness. And then a few seconds go by and then the res pups, they start growling and and then we just hear like this huge like thump like something fell from the sky um if you could picture like 
a really big boulder dropping into like wet sand, like just that weight and that momentum, it felt like that. And it sounded like that. And it was like right near our tent. And like, I heard it, I was like, I never been like that, like, I don't know what do you call it, spooked before. Like I didn't really want to move at all. And, and then TJ grabs my foot and that, that scared the living crap out of me as it was just because of like <laughs> what the situation was. And he was like, Falcon, did you hear that? And I'm like, I was like, you heard it too? And he was like, yeah. And my brother was like, all right, like what, like, what do we do? What do we do? Like, like, like we were, just, we were just like stuck in this tent and we were just like all just like kind of like, I don't know, panicking is the word to say, but we, we just like, we're just like confused and just like wondering like, what the heck was that? Because we heard this, like the dogs growling. We just heard this thing drop from the sky with momentum and weight. And then we heard like three or four footsteps in the sand and then, and then just like nothing. And it was like right near our tent. So now we were, um, we were just like, all right, well, we need to get outside and we need to start that fire back up. And so we, we all got outside as fast as we could and just started like building up this fire and making it as big as possible and like throwing in our, our, um, our other sack of wood. And, uh, and this is like where we start like, just like trying to guess like what we're, we're talking about, like what could this be? Um, my brother grabs the flashlight from the car and we start like, it's like flashing it around the campsite and like looking for whatever it is that dropped from the sky or what we heard and we couldn't find any tracks whatsoever um, near our near our tent. And um, while we were near the fire and just like building it up and stuff like that, um, like there's this in Navajo, um, in Navajo culture, there's a thing called like a skinwalker. And you're, I, I guess like, you know, you're not technically supposed to say that word. I think like the, the correct term to use or not the correct term but another term to use called like a flesh pedestrian because using that using the skinwalker term kind of like i don't know i think i read like something like helps summon that thing towards you in one way or another but um so i'm gonna be stop saying the word then <laughs> <laughs> um i'm gonna be using flesh pedestrian from now on um appreciate it <laughs> that's the only thing that we could think of and like because we you know i felt like if it was an animal it definitely would have like made some sense of noise or made itself present in, in one way or another um but yeah so we just like all gathered around the fire and just like you know slept by it that night until the next morning um we you know we we get whatever sleep we can you know, always feeding the fire. And so it's morning now. And I'm the first one up and I just like kind of do like, kind of like a quick, like looking around near our campsite to see if I could see anything in the, in the, um, in the morning light. And once again, we couldn't see anything, like nothing that identifies some sort of tracks or anything that, that looks like abnormally different that was placed there like later that night, but earlier that night. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was so like, just like weird. And when we all woke up, 
we all like kind of like talked about like what we heard and all of our stories were like so identical. And then, um, so we all pack up, we leave, you know, we clean up our campsite and we head back to our grandma's place. And so we're trekking along in the car and uh, we see our grandma like waiting outside on the front porch. And um, I'll never forget this because it was so funny. Um, we get outside the car and she just starts yelling at us in Navajo. <laughs> like I only understood maybe like, a, I don't know, like, like half of what she was saying, but she was just like something along the lines of like, you guys shouldn't have slept, like slept over there. Like that's, um, that was dumb of you guys. You guys should have like slept like right near the house. Um, and then she was like, yeah, she was just like spewing, um, just like, talking a lot of Navajo that I could not understand. But, um, but after that, um, you know, we visited her and all that stuff and you know, cleaned up her yard, chopped firewood for her, got her lunch and food and gas money. Um, and then we had to leave. And so, um, so as we were leaving, we were, you know, leaving the community. And for I, like, you know, there was a hitchhiker that was on the side of the road and my brother was like, just pulled over like he didn't even ask any of us he was like he just pulled over and we we're like what are you what are you doing and he was like um he's like oh yeah we're gonna like we're gonna see if this guy needs a ride <laughs> um so he gets into our car and we ask him point, and he says cuba and cuba is like an hour in the direction in which we were going and so we're like, yeah we're going that road we're going that way um why don't you jump in and so he was like wearing all black um black hoodie, black pants. Uh, he was like really dusty, like he was out all night. Um, and uh, he was really quiet. And we were in the car and we were trying to like make small talk with him. But he just, I don't know, just wasn't having it. Just really disassociating himself. And uh, we asked if he was hungry or thirsty because we just had like leftover food and drinks. And um, so he was thirsty. He definitely... Uh, asked for the um what we had to drink and that's when i decided to go to bed and that was so we picked him up on our way to cuba cuba is one hour away and when i woke up we were about like 10 minutes away from from cuba and uh i asked if we had anything else to drink and in that span of like less than an hour he drank i think like like seven of the beers and like four or five of like the leftover sprites <laughs> in that time. Yeah. Like it was like, I was surprised by like what he drank like during that time. Um, and if I was awake, I probably would have been like, like, you know, like not mentioned the beers because that's like open container in the car. Mm -hmm. And, and so, but uh, yeah, he, you know, he drank what he did. He drank what he could. And so we were like reaching up to this like T-stop. And, and so we were gonna make the next right to get into Cuba, which was still like two miles away. And uh, he, he said that, um, he asked if he could like get off at that T intersection. And we were like, uh, well, if you're going into Cuba, like we can take you into Cuba. But he was like, he was like, no, like right here is good. So we pulled off on the road there and let him out. And um, 
ended up walking like back in like <laughs> back where we were coming from. You just ended up walking away from the car, which was like super weird. That's strange. Um, yeah, just super weird. And and uh, yeah, so like we went into Cuba, and and that was like you know we went into Cuba and got some snacks and then just like finished out the rest of our um, of our trip. Now, when we got back back to Moorhead, um, about a week later, uh, my mom, my mom, yeah, my mom comes to visit, uh, visits me. And, um, so at that time my brother and I were living with each other. So he was at work. And so my mom came over to come visit and, <laughs> uh, she comes inside and like, she doesn't even say hi or anything. She was like, so what happened in New Mexico? And right when she said that, I, I instantly knew what she was talking about. And um, so I'm guessing like my brother gave her kind of like the rundown as to what happened, but she wanted to get like my perspective about it as well. And so I told her everything, basically what I, what I just told you. And then she was also mad at us. Like, just like her, just like our grandma, her mom was mad at us for camping out that far from the house. My mom is like basically getting mad at me and YZ my brother for, for doing that. And, um, she, she was very adamant that, that what we experienced or what was outside our campsite and that person that we picked up, like more than likely, like that was like a skinwalker. Um, the same, you know, the same, uh, like person or thing that, that was, uh, that, that we experienced. And um, sorry, I was going to say there's a lot of um, reports where there's um, sightings or sensing of skinwalkers, uh, both mm -hmm. in the animal form, but then later as a human form as well. Mm -hmm. Like there, like there's a connection there. Yes. In those uh, sightings. Yeah. And this kind of sounds and, just like that. Yeah. And uh, like, so at that time I was like trying to like, like think about what, like, how can that be and everything like that. And my mom, like, um, like when I mentioned that, like when we picked up that hitchhiker and like, you know, he was wearing all black, disassociating, never showed, never showed his face, um, didn't barely talked at all and was thirsty. And like, she was like, yeah, like, think about it. I remember her saying this. She was like, she was like, think about it. Like, um, he was dusty with dirt. Um, you know, he he just so happened to be like leaving town as you guys were leaving town. Um, and he like, you know, like he was super thirsty and, and hungry. Like, like he was out all night, obviously. And I was like, that's like when the like the light went off <laughs> in my head, like made those connections. Um, yeah, and so our mom just like told us that um, like, you know, burn some sage, some sweet grass. Um, and at that time, um, we, like, I was constantly around, um, a medicine man and like my brother and TJ, Richie, like they would always go to sweats, to his sweats as well. Cause he was, um, a local member. He would always come to town and, uh, provide sweats for the native community. Um, so we were constantly around um, someone who's like spiritually strong 
and you know like you know has a lot of good medicine around it and a good spirit and so i wasn't like you know like you never want to be around anything like a negative spirit or a bad spirit especially if you know if it, if, if it is what it was <laughs> don't not want to be in a compact car with <laughs> with such a with such a spirit or entity um <laughs> <laughs> And so that wasn't too much of a, like of an issue in terms of like relieving ourselves of, of any negative attachments in terms of like, you know, spirits and, and our luck or however you want to phrase it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's like, you know, like my brother and I, we kind of like, I wouldn't say that we ran into some bad luck, but I feel like that's just like, you know, with being as young as we were, um, like we did hit some things where we were just like, oh, like this kind of sucks. Like, but we were able to work around them, but not to say that that was tied to that experience, but it does make me wonder, you know, like, like does, <laughs> did those stars aligned in some way where like bad energy was sent my way? It was still lingering in some sense, but, um, but yeah, would I do that again? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, yeah i would i would say road tripping with a skinwalker is probably not something to do twice so yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah it is uh it was interesting just to, like i don't know just the similarities between like like not only what my brother and our close family friends experienced outside of that tent but also like what my grandma did and what my mom did in terms of like getting mad at us for doing that Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah, I think there's just like too many similarities, and and just like, I don't know, it's just like, what else could it be, you know? And now we join first season guest Matt Bars with another on the road story. Growing up, we had a. We had one pet. We, we had two pets. We had a cat that ran away, and then we had the family dog. And we loved, 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 loved that dog. We had that dog when she was a puppy, and uh, uh, she was still living in the house when I um, when I went to college initially. So um, she was about ten years old, and uh, this was summertime. So she she had fallen kind of ill. And, um, I was aware of it and, uh, I knew she wasn't doing so great. So that, um, I was actually in the middle of moving apartments. I was, uh, moving from a single apartment to, um, so I, I was all alone. I was living all by myself <laughs> and, um, I was in transitioning to moving to have, having roommates. So, um, so I was kind of stressed out about moving, uh, anyway. And, um, so my dad called me when I was moving some stuff and told me that, uh, no, 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 I'm getting this wrong. Um, I found out at some point, I, I found out at some point during the day that they were going to have to put the dog down. Um, it was, it was bad. I don't know. I'm not sure what, if it was cancer, but, uh, she just, she wasn't moving. And so, um, I was informed that they were, she was going to be put down. And dad told me, he said, well, I, I think I'm just going to drop, you know, 
drop her off and uh, I don't know if I can be there with her. And so I, th- and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything at the time. And uh, so I thought, well, okay, just do what you got to do. So, well, he ended up, he did stay with her for the whole process. So I felt better about that, but that was on my mind. And, you know, I was like, well, this is, you know, 10 years with this, you know, the family dog and I was, you know, not feeling so, so hot about it. So I'm moving, I'm all alone. And then I do, I get a call and uh, a bunch of my friends are going to the movies that night. So I thought, well, you know, that'll, that'll be good for me. I can get my mind off this and go to the movies. So it's, it's dark. Um, driving down to the movie theater. It's uh, it's a main street. It's 40 miles an hour of speed limit. And I, uh, there's, I could see up ahead, there is a young lady crossing the street. <clears throat> it's not a crosswalk. She's not crossing at a stoplight not a stop sign. She's, it's the middle of the street and it wasn't too busy. Um, I think it was just me actually, but she stops right in the middle of the street and starts waving. And so I, you know, I, I instinct, Oh gosh. Okay. So I stopped the car. She's putting her hands on the hood and she's, she seems frantic. She comes around knocking on the passenger side door. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. So I, th- I think I either rolled the window down or I just, I let her in the car because um, I didn't know what was going on. So she's, and she gets in the car, drive, just go, just, just drive. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I start, I start driving. I didn't know where I was going. I just, I have this really um, frantic young woman in my car and she's sweating and uh, there's, um, uh, she, she, she sounds there, there's an air of desperation. And so I'm, um, ask her, I'm like, what's, what's, what's going on? And she's telling me that, that he's chasing me. He's after me. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, who's chasing you? The devil, the devil's chasing me. So I'm, I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know. Um, I just keep driving. So I'm like, okay. Like, so, uh, where do you need to go? <laughs> um, so I'm I'm stuck with this girl in the car, and she's she's pretty. She's not like I, I I don't know if I would do this today. I don't know if I was just acting on instinct or, or what was going on, but um, I don't know if I would be so quick to let a stranger in my car. But she did seem like she was, you know, uh, there there uh, something was wrong. Um, so. She kept repeating, he's after me, he's going to get me, the devil's going to get me. So I, uh, you know, my mind, I'm thinking, well, is, is, is she upset? Is there something like wrong with her head or, or is there something after her? You know, I don't, I don't know. So, um, so then I start getting a little bit scared because I didn't (laughs) didn't know what to do. So I'm like, well, where, where, again, where, where, where should I go? And so she starts directing me different places and um and uh finally we end up at a house and once again I don't know if I would do this today or if I I didn't know any better back then but uh so I park the car and then she goes okay go knock on the door I'm like what just just go knock on the door and and he'll 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 answer I'm like who I think she told me it was her dad. I don't know if I knew that 
but I, it was some kind of parental figure that I thought that I was knocking on the door. All the lights were off. <laughs> um, um, so I'm like, okay. So I grabbed the keys out of the ignition and she said, no, 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 wait, 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 leave the keys. And sense kicked in at that point. I said, I, I'm not leaving my keys in the car. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking these with me. So she, she agreed to it. So I get out of the car, walk to the front door, knock on the front door. <laughs> Once again, I don't, I, I, I would not do this. Even under the circumstances, I don't think I would do this today. Or, or I would have, I would be more cautious, I think. So I knock on the door. This big guy, older man, answers. You know, he looks at me like, who are you? I wasn't too scared at that point because I didn't, you know, he was, he was wearing a tank top and jeans and he looked mad. <laughs> so, I mean, it could have been, it, this could have turned into a really bad horror movie. Um, it didn't. I, I kind of motioned over to the car. I'm like, hey, I think, I don't know if that's your daughter or, I mean, she's, and I explained the situation as quick as I could. <laughs> so he didn't start like calling the police or grab, grabbing his bat and be like, what are you doing with my daughter? Um, so she got out of the car and I just, I, I left after that. I, well, the, the bizarre thing was nothing was really said. He just kind of looked at me, looked at her. She kind of came out, looked at him, looked at me, and then went in the house and I kind of shrugged my shoulders. I'm like, okay, I, I, uh, guess that's it for me so I got in my car and then went to the movie the movie was the Blair Witch Project um and that's it had just opened 1999 is when this happened so um you know there's a phenomenon surrounding that movie with you know is this real is it not real the marketing made it made it you know really spooky so I'm watching this movie and I, I knew I was aware of the you know the marketing but it, you know, scared, scared me as I had this on my mind, you know, the movie, I'm watching this, you know, horrific movie, this incident happened. I was thinking about my dog <laughs> and, uh, all these things. So, um, if I think anytime someone, if I recount a, a scary moment in my life, uh, that story always comes up. Um, and you know, the, the good thing about it is, you know, I still have good thoughts and feelings about the dog. I'm glad my dad stayed with her. So uh, the weird vibe that I had throughout that night um, was kind of put at ease when I kept thinking, well, at least, <laughs> at least my dog had, at least dad was there for the dog. You know, I could have been chopped up that night. I could have, the movie could have scared me to death and I, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. I'm glad the dog was at peace when she, yeah. um, so anyway, um, that's, that's my, uh, that's my story. Well, I think on both ends of that story, you know, cause, uh, this young woman who, um, felt that she was in danger, you know, she, one, she had you to, to get away from that situation, but then her dad was there for her as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's your, this, this evening is sort of encapped by the, the support of two, two fathers in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think I guess I do I do think about that as well um, that aspect. So that's a nice that is a nice cap uh, to a very bizarre day. Do you enjoy a good devil in the diner story? Take a road trip with first season guest Vanessa Shortbull. So my grandmother, um, you know, before she had passed away, we always talked about ghost stories and the reasons why we told, you know, tell them, or even as grandmothers tell them, you know, don't go out late at night, you know, think about the the Gigi who might be out there. And, you know, it was a way to keep kids inside, you know, for safety, not being out in the dark. And um, when I was traveling um, as Miss South Dakota, we were going up to um, Devil's Lake and I had to do a presentation, but I had been working and of course my grandmother said we're going to go up there but I have to do it after I get done with work at 4 30 and she's oh Takoja you know how I feel about traveling at night and um, you know why you shouldn't be out at night kind of thing and I said oh I'll be okay we'll we'll get we'll go to the filling station get our snacks and jump in the car and head on up and I'll be a little adventure with me and my my mom and my grandmother and we took off and I can remember, you know, we are, we always get so excited when we travel or we see beautiful skies in South Dakota, um, you know, going past Bear Butte. And we started to turn up to um, head up to Devil's Lake and we're on the Lawrence Welk Highway. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is. <laughs> and, uh, and it was starting to get dusk. And my grandmother said, you know, Takoja, she said, I drank too much Mountain Dew. You need to find a fill-in station. I said, oh, great. Okay. So, and it just happened. And the stretch of road from that part of South Dakota into North Dakota, I mean, it's just straight and long. And I don't remember seeing any signs. And I was like, great. I have no idea where the next town is going to be. Um, and it just seemed like all of a sudden we came over probably like not even like five minutes from what her saying that there was a, a sign for a turnoff um, on the right-hand side. And I could see over on the left towards the west, I could see this town. And I said, well, let's go there. I'm sure they'll have a filling station. We can stop, you know, get soda and we'll, we'll continue on. Um, and I pull in there and I don't remember seeing a sign for this town. And we start pulling in and it's this old town. And but there, it's, it's like a ghost town. And I see a five and dime on the right, there's a filling station, but there's no lights on. And as we're going down the main street, you see a little bit of a flashing neon light. And it was a bar. And I said, oh. I said, well, I don't know where, you know, the next place is we're gonna have to go. I said, well, we'll go in here. And, um, you know, if they ask us to pay, patronize, you know, to use the restroom, you know, we'll buy some, you know, buy some pop and stuff and, and get back on the road. And it was, the eeriest thing of getting out of this car and there's no one around aside from you can hear the, the neon clicking in this sign and this town is, there's no one there. There's no street lights that are popping on nothing. And it was so quiet. And I opened up the door and it, it just had that weird feeling. And I opened up the door to this bar and we walk in and there's this woman at the bar, not saying anything. And the lights were very low you know, these little dark bar. And I said, you know, I said, do you mind? I said, I, my, my grandmother just needs to use the restroom. She never looked up. She was just wiping down the bar and she just pointed um, in the direction of the restroom. 
So we went in there and I thought, God, this is the creepiest place. Leave it to North Dakota to have a creepy town like this, you know? And, and we were, my mom said, just, you know, hurry up and let's just get the heck out of here. You know, this is too weird to be at, you know, this time of night, nothing's turning on. Just this woman in a bar in this small town. And we, you know, get done, start washing our hands and get ready to walk out the, the restroom door. Just as I opened the door, the bar was full of people. People that I can't even remember if they had faces or not, but there were people in this bar. How all these people came in within the five minutes that we were there, I have no idea. I don't remember seeing their faces. It was just, you know, like a smoky, dark bar. And I could just remember, you know, my grandmother used to walk with a cane. Um, yeah, she wasn't walking with a cane at that moment. She just head headed for the door. And I can just remember thinking like, what is going on? And we walk out onto the street and now the lights are starting to flicker on in the lamp. And we look across the way and the gas station is open with the, the garage open and the filling station and the lights are on. But how all of a sudden all these people just showed up within that small time frame. And I can remember getting in the car and I didn't even use my little clicker to open the door. I remember it was like one of those things out of a horror movie where you, you try to put your car keys and turn the, you know, and, and you're fumbling with it. And I just remember we got in and I pulled out and I took off. And for probably about a half an hour in the car, we did not say anything to each other. We just sat in silence. And finally, my mom said, do you think that really just happened? And I said, what do you mean? She said, do you really think we just were in a ghost town? And I thought, I go, I don't even remember the name of this. I don't, I was trying to remember what mile marker we had turned off. And I said, I, I, I said, I don't know. I said, uh, I mean, I, when I think about it now, it, it really just is one of those things that you, you, I have no explanation. But when we were driving home the, the following day, um, and we were trying to find this place. We could never find where we turned off, where this place, you know, came up. And, um, you know, my grandma Sadie loved to always tell stories, especially about traveling at, you know, around dusk. Um, and she used to say that when they would, you know, travel by wagon and stuff, and sometimes when they look on the planes, sometimes they would see, you know, covered wagons or, or you know, look like, you know, older, Indians out there, you know, so there's something about that time. And we just never spoke about, you know, even though we told them as, you know, ghost stories, but to actually experience it yourself, it completely, um, I don't know, even right now it overwhelms me. And I, I make a point, even when I travel now, I get up at six o'clock. And once I start seeing the sun start to go down, I will pull over. I'm, I'm not going to go out there and travel anymore. So um, yeah, that was, that was one of the things that I, I could never explain. And I used to travel all over by myself. And after that, I, I refused. And I just kept thinking, I said, you know, somewhere in North Dakota, there's this phantom town out there. <laughs> and well, a phantom town with, I guess, alcoholics, because they were all at the bar. <laughs> First episode guest, Gerald Knoyer, shares a story that not all hitchhikers are. Well, you'll see. So my aunt and my uncle were telling ghost stories and we were all 
sitting around in the in the living room, and this was uh, in two thousand. We're just sitting listening to these stories, and they went back to the late sixties, about nineteen sixty nine, and they talked about how it was changing from summer to fall, and it was real foggy one evening. And they were driving from the Pine Ridge Reservation towards the little town of Scenic. And it was in the middle of the night. And it was real foggy and windy. And how they they were just driving along and couldn't hardly see the road at times. The fog kind of got real dark, so they got real thick, so they slowed down. And when they slowed down, they saw this uh, this vehicle with a woman standing at the back of the vehicle and she's just standing there with her purse she's got her big jacket on she's got a hat on and so they pull in front of the car and she's just standing there and so they thought you know let's go see if they need help that was the first thing on their mind was something something's happening here and uh, this old lady you know we don't want to see her out here in the cold so we'll see if she needs help so my two uncles got out and they went to the back and uh, they saw that lady and they asked her, said, do you need help? And she said, no, I'm okay. My son is coming. My son will be here in just a little bit. And they said, you got a flat tire. You know, we can, we can help you. Oh, I don't have a jack. Well, we got one in the car. That's okay. My son's coming. She kept telling them, my son's coming. And so they went back to the car, they grabbed a flashlight, they grabbed a jack, they grabbed a tire, and they went back. And they're just making small talk, and my aunts are watching, and uh, sitting in the back seat looking out the back window. It is cold, and it is windy, and it's dark. And, you know, all of these things are kind of setting this whole thing up, like... uh, uh, it was real spooky. So they felt spooky just sitting in the car. So when my uncles got back to the lady and she said, it's going to be okay. My son's coming. It's okay. My son's coming. You don't have to change the tire. My son's coming. And they said, no, that's okay. No, we can do this. We can help you. So you don't have to be out here in the cold. So they took the flashlight and one of my uncles is looking at the car and then he goes over to the tire and my uncle fred is starting to take off the lug nuts and my uncle john is looking at the card and he looks inside and he goes to kind of flashes to the front and then comes back and looks at the tire the tires all burnt and then he said look at this car he said look at this car so they're looking at the car and he said this car is completely burnt this car is all burnt up look at this tire there's just nothing but those wires hanging there. And so John said, let's get the hell out of here. So they looked at that woman again, and she said, my son's coming. It'll be okay. And so they started to kind of get scared. Uncle John makes it to the car, jumps in the driver's side. My aunts lock all the doors. My Uncle Fred is still back there, and he's trying to make his way to the car. And they couldn't see. It just got real foggy. And all of a sudden, they hear, 
and uh, they all screamed and jumped and John's trying to put it in gear and Uncle Fred's saying, let me in, let me in, <laughs> as they drive down the road. Oh, that was so, that was so scary because Aunt Rose and um, Uncle Fred were telling the story. Like, you know, we, we couldn't believe it, you know. They would go past a couple of days later to go past and that car is all burnt out. But that apparition was there that night. You also had an experience in your studio when you were in Oklahoma. And I don't know if you wanted to share that or not, but. Uh, which time? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, at the University of Oklahoma, I was out at the North Base, they called it. And it was an airfield. And the building that I was in had been converted three or four different times. So it was a barracks at one point. And it turned into a school, and then over time it turned into uh, the faculty and graduate student studio space. So I was out there, and uh, I'd be out there till about midnight every night. And one time my brother Mark came, and when Mark showed up, we would be, he'd just be listening to music, and then I would be painting, and he'd just stay out there till. Well, midnight or one, and we'd close it down. But on one particular night, uh, Mark stepped outside just into the hallway, and he started to smoke a cigarette. And it was real cold. It was a winter time, And he heard the back door open, and then he started hearing the footsteps come down the hall. So it's kind of like a U-shape. So they had to go north, and they went east and then they started to come south and so he just had his back to what he thought was going to be the security guard but he heard the loud footsteps and like someone walking with uh, shoes was walking down the hall with those uh, thick heeled shoes not tennis shoes but heeled shoes or boots and he distinctly remembered that so he's just standing there smoking his cigarette and he thought yeah they're gonna kick me out of the building <laughs> So he just stood there and he was smoking. And as the, as the footsteps got closer, he slowly turned around and he thought he would be face to face with a security guard and nobody was there. That building. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, you were sharing that in a couple different stories with me when uh, I came down, I think in 06. And, um, I had that video camera, that XL2, that big camera, and we decided to, to ghost hunt that night. Uh, it was after midnight or so. And we kind of were going from room to room, studio to studio. And it was, it was creepy in there anyways, you know, cause I think half that building was abandoned or just used for storage. And so we were going in different places. Um, and it didn't seem like there was anything really. It was just dark and spooky and there was really nothing to it. And one of us asked the question, if there's anyone there and there was no response. And so we thought, well, all right, heck with it. We're done. And we shut it off. And I went back to review the, the audio and sure enough, uh, there was a sound that was made and boy, that really, that really set me off. It was like someone like exhaling in the microphone or something. Um, somewhere I have the recording and if I have it, I'll play it on here. 
um, and share that. Uh, but yeah, I remember hearing that and my blood just went cold when I heard that because I knew it wasn't you. I knew it wasn't me because I was holding the camera and that microphone on that XL2 sticks out about a foot out and you were standing behind me when that question was asked. I don't know. That was, that was really strange. And the fact that we caught it on camera or on microphone uh, really was unsettling. <laughs> yeah. When I would, uh, I would go in on Sundays in the evening and I would offer tobacco and then I would load my chanumpa and I would sing a song or two and then I'd smoke my chanumpa and I would just sit and meditate and uh, do a little painting with, you know, about an hour or so just be in there, just to be in there. And my uncle had passed away and I'm just standing in the studio and I finished praying and I was getting ready to light my pipe and right at the door was five feet behind me. I hear this. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) So I... I smoked my pipe and I didn't spend too much time painting. I just sort of got out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Is that building still there? No, they tore it down. Oh, they did really? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Well, we got a little, little bit of it on camera anyway. Yeah. I would turn my light off when I, when somebody would open the door, when I'm in there painting, the door would just come wide open and it would shut. So then I thought, you know, it's probably time for me to leave. <laughs> so I turn everything off, turn my lights off, lock the door, get out to my vehicle, start my vehicle, and my lights would come back on. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. I'm shaking my head. Uh, you can't <laughs> see me. I just been in that building. I know how that building's set up, and I'm just, uh, I wouldn't go back in there to shut it off. I would just let it be. <laughs> Let the university cover the light bill for the night. Yeah. Um, I was in the studio right next door to it, and the door was probably, somehow they cut it six inches shorter, and I was sitting on a small stool, and I was painting close to the ground. And I see a shadow go by underneath the door. So I got up, and I opened the door to think, thinking somebody came in, like, one of the fellow graduate students, it was close to midnight. And I look through and I don't see anything. And then I open the door. And uh, so I walk down the hall and I put my arms out and I can feel a cold presence. Mm-hmm. And then I would walk back and then I would go and the presence would have moved further down the hallway, this cold presence. <laughs> so I did, I did leave. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably time for me to go. (laughs) Second season guest Eric Williams proves that not all in the radio station is fit for broadcast. The earliest one I can recall uh, being a kid, uh, we always had these spooky things happening at the farm place we grew up. And one of them took place with a uh, a spiritual board um, that was discovered. In the fall of 19, 
80, I believe, my family moved to a farm near Dry Run, South Dakota. This is uh, near the Lake Traverse Lake, a couple miles north. And it was an old farmstead. Um, <clears throat> had long been abandoned for a number of years. And as we're cleaning it out, uh, apparently my siblings discovered what was left of uh, a Ouija board. And my grandmother, who was very spiritual herself, said, absolutely do not mess with that thing. Leave it be. And like, okay, well, whatever, you know. Apparently grandma says, just dispose of it, but don't use it. Just get rid of it. So my siblings and my cousins, uh, they threw it in a fire with a lot of other stuff. Well, everything burned up in the fire except this spiritual board, this Ouija board. And after that time at the farm, strange things started to happen to everybody there. There'd be, they'd see things move in the dark. They would see, uh, shadows. I mean, you'd see people walk by that were not there. Uh, it happened to my sister, my nephew and myself in around 1988 or so, uh, the family had all gone out, uh, to supper and then bingo or whatever. My sister was home watching us. And she heard footsteps upstairs when there was absolutely nobody home but us. And she was very terrified. She had my parents check it out when they got home. Um, <clears throat> it was really unusual. Nobody was there. But you can clearly hear the thump, 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 thump of boots walking across back and forth upstairs. Uh, nobody was home. It was just us three. Uh, a few years later, I'm sitting in the living room and a man walked right up to the window. And I'm like, Mom, who's this guy standing outside the glass? And she's like, what guy? It's like, there's a guy outside. He's walking around outside the house. And we both went out and looked. Nobody around. Uh, a year later, uh, me and my brother are sitting. We're watching a movie in the middle of the night. <clears throat> my sister just goes to bed. And all of a sudden, we see lights outside the house. And they're just circling the building. And we cannot figure out what this is. Now, he's very skeptical. Uh, I'm, at this point, <laughs> you know, preteen kid. I'm like, what is this? Like, what is going on here? Okay, maybe it was a fluke, maybe it was car lights, maybe it was fireflies or something. A week later, a buddy of mine who spent the night, he saw the exact same thing, except it came in through the window. So a lot of strange things happened at this house. And it all kind of, you know, made me think like, okay, there is something out there. You're seeing and experiencing all these things. Something's really going on. So we move out of that home. We move into another farmstead. Eh, the place is pretty quiet. So this takes me into, we moved to another farmstead. This is in the late 90s. I get a radio station job at this radio station, KSWS, and it's located at the Tekawitha Orphanage and uh, Mission School, which the Mission School has long since been defunct. Uh, there was a center there for uh, youth. Um, I believe they also had a treatment center there, and there were some other, other operations there in the building. But... The things I experienced in that building <clears throat> the course of working there for three years were very, very strange. Uh, it all began around 1999, and I'm working the summer there, and things would move. I mean, you'd hear weird things in the studio. Uh, equipment, like, just would shut off on you when it's plugged into the wall, and there's no breakers blowing. The rest of the room is lit up, but stuff would go out. Uh, I'm <clears throat> this, is, this is where it gets odd. I'm sitting there doing my radio show one night and all we had in the studio is we had a lamp. We just had a single lamp on the back wall and I'm doing my show or whatever. And 
I closed my eyes. And I'm like, oh, I was just singing along, and all of a sudden I heard a click. I'm like, whoa, what was that? I, I opened my eyes and I turned around, and there's nothing but the glow of the radio board. And I turned behind me, the lamp is out. And this studio is dark. There's hand <laughs> is pitch black, and I'm like, whoa, 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 okay. I get up, I go back. I'm like, well, tap the ball, what's going on? I'm like, well, what's going on here? I, I reached up, I turned the switch, and I clicked the lamp back on. So the lamp clicked itself off audibly while I'm sitting there with my cans on. It's like, holy cow, you know, you could hear it, you know, with your headphones on. Like, so, okay. One night I'm walking out of the studio and there's a intense whistling outside the door and it's just screeching and it's not an owl. It's not anything I could identify. It was just screeching. Another night I leave the studio and I'm, you gotta remember this, this is in at times of the year when it's dark out, you're walking out of the studio at 10, 11 o'clock. I'm a mile from town. This is out in kind of in the middle of the, you know, nowhere. And something hit the glass, um, window, the, the studio. So you can look in, you can see the microphone and the desk and something just boom, it's hit the glass. I'm like, okay, time to go. Let's get out of here. Uh, a lot of strange things would happen there <clears throat> and you could be sitting all alone and all of a sudden the door alarms would trip as if, uh, they were, um, motion sensitive. And this is a time when motion sensors were just, you know, starting to get available to the, the, the public, you know, you could buy one and plug it in and you'd be sitting there and all of a sudden the alarms would start going off. And it was really strange. Like there was no explanation. There was nobody else in the building. This is after hours, after business hours. So there should be nobody else around. Strange things would happen to not just me, but every other DJ that worked there. And if you were to interview all of them, they could all share with you some very odd tales. In November of 2001, or actually this was in September, um, I'm sitting at the board doing a pop show or whatever I was doing. And I get a phone call and this guy is kind of like not really freaking out, but he's like, Hey man, uh, just let the radio station staff know there's something going on in the Eastern sky. And I'm like, what? And I go outside, I put, you know, a, a song on, I go outside and I look out and the entire Eastern sky, uh, and this is dark. This is nine, eight, nine o'clock at night is beat red. <clears throat> I mean, it's just a glowing red and it's like, what the heck? And I come back in and the, the board's starting to light up. I'm getting calls and they're like, what's going on? You know, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Call law enforcement. Maybe they need to call the FAA. Something's going on. I, we don't know. And this is just like maybe a week or so before 9-11. And I'm like, what the heck? So I get a call from my brother and he's like, are you seeing this? And I'm like, yes. What's, what's, what do you guys got? Cause I had, <clears throat> we had access to an AP teletype, you know, so something was happening we get it right away. And I said, the teletype's dead. Nothing's coming through. There's no breaking news or anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, okay. You know, and then that was that. So we watched this phenomenon for a good hour in the sky. It was just, the sky was this of a big glowing red cloud. It was so strange. And we were like, what is this? So I had probably at least eight, nine calls maybe from this local concerned people. I called out to tribal police. They said they were aware of it. They were contacting uh, Aberdeen. Uh, that's where the nearest radar station is. Nobody could figure it out. So I get home that night and I talk to my dad 
And like, hey, Dad, did you see that cloud? And he's like, yes, I saw that cloud. I'll tell you this. The last time I saw that cloud was in December of 1941, right before Pearl Harbor. He said, there's a great death coming when you see those clouds. So culturally, that was another spooky experience. You know, just it was so uh, prevalent and poignant at that time in my life. Like, holy cow, we saw that. A week later, 9-11 happened. It was strange. It was strange to see those things happening around us, just those those little odd tidbits, and some of it was culturally related. So the paranormal, <clears throat> and especially in Indian country, especially in, uh, you know, just growing up with my friends and family members, <laughs> you we experienced a lot of these strange events. Um, <clears throat> there's some I won't discuss um, publicly. They're cultural and they're very... Um, uh, dear to me, some of the, the the strange events I saw as a young person, but they stick in my mind always. Like that really did happen. Um, whether you want to call it, uh, you see Native American spirits, or you see things moving, or whatever it is. Like you said, that thin veil sometimes is pulled back, and um, I believe it. I do believe it. So to continue on with the radio station spook stories, um, we moved in November of 2001. KSWS station moved. And we moved into the Joe Robbie Center in Sesedon, South Dakota. The activity, the paranormal activity got worse. Um, all the DJs were experiencing stuff there. We were hearing things in the building. I mean, we're, you know, uh, the alarms were going off during people's shows. I mean, this, this isn't, wasn't when you're off the air, you know, just sitting there or middle of the whatever. The alarms are going off all the time and it got to the point where the police station is like are you guys going to fix this what's going on like we don't know as far as we know the security people that put our stuff in you're fine we don't know there's something in the building setting these things off it was mostly concentrated in the basement of the robbie center where the motion sensors was were picking up people allegedly djs were hearing voices through their microphones uh, when they were talking and through the cans so you could hear stuff. I'm like, no way. Yeah, right. I'm sitting there. I'm doing the Halloween or I'm doing um, a Christmas show and I hear people talking and I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, you could pause for a second. Here's that dead silence. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. What the heck is going on? I call my station manager. He's like, you just got to deal with it. I'm like, I got two more hours of a show left here, man. He's like, yeah, just got to deal with it. Smudge, put some tobacco out. Uh, I'm not going to stick around if there's stuff happening. One of our DJs, he's, he's passed on now. Um, <clears throat> he had stuff happening where he actually left. He, he, I think he shut the show down in the middle of the broadcast. He's like, nope, I'm done. This is just too much happening here. Um, the Robbie Center had a lot of activity. We don't really know why. But it was mostly concentrated in that basement. You, know, you could hear footsteps coming up the stairs. You could hear just the the you know in the in the in the in the cans. And I'm like, are people hearing this? You know, what is going on? So, the last story I have from Robbie is again it happened with lights. I'm sitting there, and the studio is kind of a it was an interior studio. So you had a, it was in, it was a room within a room. I'm sitting there. I turn around and there is a person standing in the doorway in a locked studio with a keypad. Nobody should have been in there. And I'm like, whoa, who's that? And luckily I was off air. I just let the music play. I think I went into bumper. I think I went into the next, you know, next cart. Got up. I checked the whole building. 
went, even went downstairs, checked it all out. Nobody in there. I'm like, okay, there's definitely activity in this, in this, uh, facility. So shortly later, shortly there, um, shortly thereafter we had to, uh, shut down. <laughs> Maybe it was all part of that. I don't know. So yeah, the, the shutdown of, of, the station had nothing to do uh, maybe with the spirits uh more uh more, they they uh, wanted their own they wanted their own stuff played who knows they, but they weren't fans they weren't fans they weren't fans of the move or something i don't know so i always thought that something followed us or something was going on from uh the the trauma of the tech i mean this is a very serious moment mm-hmm. a lot of trauma happened at tech with there was a lot of energy there i mean they would see little kids out there playing in the yard um <clears throat> they'd see animals they'd see cryptids they'd see weird stuff out there I think me and you had been present for a couple of those things where we heard noises. I was like, what is this? You know, during one of your broadcasts, I was there and I had to use the bathroom. And so I stepped oh, out yeah. of the studio, uh, went into that main hallway in the back there, went into the bathroom. And when I came out, there were those, uh, double steel doors. That's right. That led That's into right. the rest of the, the orphanage. Yep. And I took, I, I walked away from those doors and as I turned to go into the studio, um, the door, those big heavy doors clicked open. Yeah. And it, it opened just a few inches. Wow. And I looked at it and I remember I just, my, my blood just went cold because <laughs> that just happened in front of me. Yeah. And I, I went and I told you, and I remember you just kind of shook your head like you just didn't want to nope. acknowledge He's that. like, nope, nope. And so the doors stayed open until the end of uh, the broadcast. And then when we left, so we had to shut those doors. Yeah. That wasn't the only time. Uh, I had to, I had shut them a couple times. Um, the spookiest I had happened after I'd gotten off of air one night. Uh, again, I had to shut down. You had to put the code in, all that kind of stuff. And there was just a huge crash in the old kitchen area of the Tekawitha Orphanage building, you know, the old mission building. And it was like something fell in the kitchen. And I mean, it wasn't just a pot, like a ring, ting, ting, ting. It was a crash, like something just knocked everything down. You could hear pots and pans and things falling on the floor. And it was like, okay, nope, nope, no problem. You know, just we'll be brave and... You know, just, just chalk it up to one. They want attention or they want to be acknowledged or whatever. My sister worked there briefly when it was a treatment center and the whole treatment crew was worried. I mean, they heard things every night in this building. I always thought for years that it would have been interesting to have like one of the ghost hunter shows come in and do a ghost hunt at the property because there was so much activity in this place. Um, but it's such a sensitive place because so much suffering happened in this place with all these ancestors of ours, and all these people that we know, even family members. It was tough, you know, and so being a radio DJ there, working in this place for a couple of years, I mean, it, that stuff was always in the back of my mind because I always heard stories about this place. But to actually go there and, and go through it, I mean, it just it really, it was really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember we went through there once. Yep. Uh, with video cameras. Yep. Uh, but, you know, nothing happened and um, I wouldn't sensationalize uh, right. that experience at this point. But I'm glad we were able to kind of go through there, though. Yeah, I mean, it was, at that point, it was pretty open to the public. If somebody wanted to walk through the building, it was Mm -hmm. abandoned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one time that we had, we went looking for something, nothing happened. But there's other times you could drive by and lights would be on when there shouldn't have been lights on. I mean, there wasn't even power in the building at one point. I believe in 2001, um, they had shut that half of the building off. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I'd, I'd leave and there's lights on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'd call the station manager and I'm like, hey man, there's lights on. He's like, that's not our problem. Yeah. I'm like, okay, no problem. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I think every, I think everyone has a story. Yeah. Related absolutely. to Absolutely. And I mean, rightfully so, it's gone now. And yeah. It's, the, it's a park now and it's uh, a lot of good community things happen there. Yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, it's a positive place now. Yeah. Uh, compared to the awful traumatic history. And that's, you know, that's so hard and I don't want to turn into a a painful thing, but it's just when there's such uh, energy concentrated all the time, it's going to leave some residual and, you know, it's going to leave something Mm -hmm. behind. All right. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you go without uh, talking about your new project and what we're working on or what you're working on. Um, you, you teased it, uh, last time you were here, but you're moving forward with a new show. Yes. So it's official. Uh, I'm going to title it the, uh, it's called AV's black coffee show. I didn't go with podcasts cause there's some other places that might have it, but it's going to be kind of a sandbox show. It'll have different topics during each show. There'll be one or two a month. Um, it could be call in, it could be interview. It could just be, uh, discussions. And a lot of pop culture stuff, a lot of, you know, cult, uh, culture, um, a lot of, uh, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, it's just something to talk about, something to make a, make a point. Uh, it doesn't have to be too serious. You know, it's not going to be all politics or all whatever, you know, it, it'll, it'll have some entertainment value to it. And just the perspective of, ah, it's a native perspective and in the 21st century and the third decade of it. There you go. AV's Black Coffee Show. AV's, uh, AV's Black Coffee Show on YouTube. Great. We're going to put a link in the show notes so people can click on that. And, yep. And uh, there should be some uh, content up around Halloween. So hopefully have a short Halloween show. Um, I'll discuss more on that uh, topic really soon. So, All right. Halloween 2021. AV's Black Coffee Show. Uh, make sure you you tune in and listen, dear listener. Uh, be, be super thankful. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming to get back in and, and do some broadcasting. So, Eric, thank you so much for being here. Joe, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And that does it for this very special episode of Five Scary Questions. I want to thank our guest for sharing these astonishing true stories. So the next time you're on the road, be very wary of hitchhikers, breakdowns, and diners you come across. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very scary and fun true story from our community. Please join us next year as we share more incredible and astonishing stories from our community. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna. That's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There, you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a true scary story from Indigenous America, and you want to share that story in our annual scary episode, reach out to me, and we'll get it recorded. Who knows? Maybe you'll be on this episode next year. Take care, and we will see you next week. And leave the light on. You never know who's in the dark with you.
This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.